Welcome back to following No Adonis Stormlight Podcast. This week is episode 167, and we are ending part three of The Well of Ascension. Elliot, how are you? Hey, I'm doing pretty good. We're getting pretty far along in this book. I have I have a lot of thoughts. I have, I have a lot of thoughts on this chapter and uh, these set of chapters and the book so far. I'm excited to talk about them. Paul? I'm also excited to hear what Elliot has to say then. Sounds interesting. We have a couple different things to talk about this week. We I'll let Elliot summarize, but um last week set set himself up in the city, so we're gonna be dealing with some of the repercussions of one of your enemies maybe friends to be kind of settling into your city um and then we're going to get updates on the other two armies as well so let's roll intro and then we'll talk about chapters 34 through 38 the end of part three of the well of ascension All right, Elliot, can you summarize what happens in this set of chapters for those of us who haven't uh, read it recently? Chapters 34 through 38, taking us to the end of part three. We jump in right in the midst of all of the political maneuvering and, like you said, Set trying to get himself elected king, which, side note, Distracting myself for my summaries. Elected king seems like yes. a potential oxymoron to me. The fact that they're talking about gathering votes to determine who the king. Anyway, sorry. Side note. Uh, so yeah, set has arrived. Ellen and crew are trying to figure out how they can maneuver against him, win some votes, that sort of thing. Vin struggles maybe a little bit with her relationship with Ellen throughout. All these chapters, really, even you know, culminating in the the final one for sure. Zane attacks again, kind of becoming a recurring thing. But he attacks maybe a little harder this time. He's got his ATM going. It definitely seems a little scary there for Vin, um, but he does not kill her. It's good for good for our heroes. We learn a little bit more about Set. We have some interesting meetings with him. Some scenes in between Sazed and Tindwill which I want to talk about with you guys because I had some thoughts and, and questions about those. Vin convinces herself that Captain Demu is not the Chandra, despite convincing herself that he was the Chandra last episode. So Vin cannot make up her mind. And then we end with a rather epic scene where they're trying to vote on King and they get attacked by assassins and Vin rather... Um, violently dispatches of them all i might just put it that way and then at the end of it all with a slight confusing turn in the political rules lord penrod gets voted as king indeed sounds good there's a scene at the end of this where vin is fighting the assassins that i did not remember uh was in this book so when i got to it i was like 
whoa <laughs> whoa so uh I'm curious to see the uh Elliot's thoughts on the graphic detail it goes into um but before we get there uh Vin and Ellen are talking in chapter 34 and Vin tells Ellen about a poisoned well. Like, the, there's a whole quadrant of the city that appears to, like, have dysentery or something. Um, and apparently the well has been sabotaged and poisoned by someone. And Ellen, in this conversation, he kind of dismisses Vin and says, oh yeah, I already knew about that. And Vin kind of takes it a little personal and says, oh, uh, sorry, like, I, I didn't, she, she gets a little awkward with it, and thinking to herself, why didn't, why didn't he tell me? Why, why, why did we not have the communication level that I thought we did? Um, he's clearly busy with all his king stuff, and I don't know everything there is to know about him anymore. So th there's a, there's an interesting dynamic there. Did you guys pick up on that? It it is interesting, but I I think it makes a lot of sense. It's they have an interesting relationship based off of their roles. He is like the king, or was the king, or is running to be the king. You know that whole that whole scenario, and she is like the like the mistborn, the like warrior. You know, at this point, they've had conversations you know like it, it's just it's just a really difficult relationship they've got multiple people on their door like multiple armies on their doorstep you know they're probably not thinking about their honeymoon right now you know where should they go you know mm -hmm. they, they've it, it, i feel like it's just given all their circumstances it's difficult for them to focus on that so and i think it's getting into the classic change the world or be there for your family conundrum of is does ellen have to sacrifice his relationship with vin in order to serve the people i think that's a common problem that leaders come across not just in stories but in real life in order to fully dedicate yourself as a servant leader to some cause that requires a lot of commitment oftentimes to the detriment of like friends and family around people, which is why leaders sometimes become kind of a, a lone wolf in some cases where they don't have time for relationships with others because they're busy saving the world. And I think Ellen's fighting that battle a bit. I have a quote to read, which I was waiting to see if Elliot would put in the outline and he didn't. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. It's after... Well, I'll kind of skip around a little bit. Um, it's on page 402 of mine, which, Elliot, do we have the same page count? If, uh, I mean, we, don't, we, have, different, we have different prints, but uh, it, it's in chapter 34, um, kind of like halfway through the chapter, maybe? I'll, I'll start it here. Ellen, Vin asked, I've thought more about the deepness. That's wonderful, Vin, Ellen said, smiling at her but I really don't have time right now. Vin nodded and smiled at him. However, her thoughts were more troubled. He's not uncertain, 
like he once was. He doesn't have to re rely on people like me for support. What, it, what would happen if he abandoned her now? He won't, she told herself. He's a better man than that. But good men had failed relationships, didn't they? People grew apart, particularly people who were so different to begin with. Despite herself, despite her self-assurances, she heard a small voice pop up in the back of her mind. It was a voice she thought she'd banished. A voice she hadn't ever expected to hear again. Leave him first. Reen, her brother, seemed to whisper in her head. It will hurt less. Ben heard a rustling sound outside. She perked her up slightly, but it was been too soft for the others to hear. She stood walking, out, walking over to the ventilation window. Two episodes ago? Three episodes ago, maybe? We had a conversation about voices in people's heads. And, Elliot, I pushed you to think, who has, who have we heard before Zane that has a voice in his head? And you said, well, it, it took you uh, several minutes and then you finally said... Like two conversations later, yes, I got back to you, you, Like 10 minutes out it later, you're like, wait a minute. Um, so you did come up with Vin. But you, you said, it's kind of... It's, it's really hard to tell if this is just her inner dialogue voice or if this is just her insecurities kind of voicing themselves in her brother's voice. But you did mention that... Each time she hears of that voice, it's in her brother Reen's like word, I guess. Yeah. yeah. And I wanted to highlight this again because it comes up again and it's still her brother's voice. It specifically says a voice she never thought she'd hear again. But she's had insecurities in this book up until this point. So I wanted to highlight this is something distinctly different. Do you want to know what else is different? Ooh. Our copies of the book. No way. My copy of the book does not have that line. No way. It skips it. What? So half of, half of what you just read okay. is in my copy. And half of it is not. And I'm staring at this, trying to make sure I'm reading this correctly. But that that line that you just emphasized, the whole, I thought I'd banished it, but then it was back. That's not in my copy. It was, a, it, mine, it was a voice she thought she'd banished, a voice she hadn't ever expected to hear again. Leave him first, Reen, her brother, seemed to whisper in her head. So leave him first. Her brother Reen seemed to whisper, it will hurt less, is all mine says. It says, despite herself, despite her self-assurances, she heard a small voice pop up in the back of her mind, leave him first. Her brother Reen seemed to whisper, it will hurt less. Whoa. Yeah. It was a voice he thought she'd banished, a voice she hadn't ever expected to hear again. And I... I noticed that section, but I didn't highlight it because it just seemed no different than any of the previous, you know, oh, there's a voice in her head that's 
written in the text differently than like Zane's voice in his head. Zane's voice actually gets like literal dialogue where it says, God said quotations kill him. Right. Whereas Reen's voice in Vin's head is just kind of italicized as part of her dialogue. Right. But your copy seems to bring a little more attention to that than mine does, which is fascinating. Now I'm looking at the copyright date to see whose is more recent. I assume mine is more recent. Well, mine says copyright 2007, first edition 2007, but then says first mass market edition November 2019. What? So I'm assuming that's when this so, was printed. So this is what mine says. First edition, August 2007. First mass market edition, June 2008. So did he go back and take that out? Did he take that line is that, out? Is that Does it prove to be problematic? Ah. Interesting. Ah. Wow. Well... Don't know what to or if I should read into that at all, but <laughs> I was I thought I was going crazy if you as you as you read that there. But yes, that is, that is firmly on the 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 theory list is the the voices in people's heads. Yeah. Which I still feel clear regardless of this conspiracy we just uncovered, the the voices seem different when comparing from Zane to Vin. Sure. And I think they're supposed Which to. I do actually want to... It, and I do want to talk about Zane's voice in his head here in just a second. But yes, I've got my eye on the similar similarities there. But wow, missing line from my later edition. Weird. Yeah, I really don't know what to uh, how to transition out of that. That's that's crazy. That's not what I was expecting that conversation to go. <laughs> Weird. So Zane shows up right at the, like right after that scene. Um Zane makes a noise that only her tin enhanced ears can pick up. And then he pull out attacks her with the intention to scare her and get her to burn ATM. Like she needs to feel that her life is in danger. I'm going to get you to burn ATM. And she doesn't. And so that's when he kind of stops and talks to her for a little bit and says, you really don't have it. Do you, you really don't have ATM. And, and that's when he finally believes her. But I wanted to highlight that specifically on a personal level between Zane and Vin, through this scene, it's now well established that Zane can kill Vin whenever he wants. It, it, it's now... He knows it. Right, and, and both of them know it. That there, there is now no question whether Vin's life is in danger. Vin's life is 100% in danger, and Zane knows it. So that power dynamic moving forward i think is going to be important i'm not i don't remember if it will be um but i th just if i were to guess i think that power dynamic will be important that zane could use the i could kill you and everyone you love right now um no nobody's had nobody has had that leverage over vin ever because e even when she at the beginning of book one she didn't have anybody she cared about. Um, 
So now that she does have people she cares about, and now there's someone who can leverage them against her, I think that's going to be a, a plot point moving forward between Zane and Finn. I think you're absolutely right. Zane is now in the position of arguably the most power in the whole book. Right. Of exactly what you just described. Zane can now threaten Vin or just kill her and take control of things by force. Very notably, he does not do that. He has been directly ordered by Straff Venture, go kill her, take my army of Alamancers with you, do whatever you have to to kill her. Has that opportunity and doesn't take it. Now, the the other, the one thing maybe weighing the scales in our hero's favor is still Vin's secret weapon throughout this entire book, which is Duralamin. Yep. And her extra like super boost that she can pull that apparently no, no one else knows about yet. And so while while ATM probably trumps Duralamin boosted pewter. That's still, I think, a secret weapon that Vin might have up her sleeve that could help. Okay, now... And... Go ahead. Finish your you thought. Might be, you might be going the exact direction that I'm going with this, which is... And, because of Duralamin, if Vin ever gets even a little bit more ATM, she will be back in the driver's seat in the upper hand, because I would guess that Duralamin boosted ATM wins the day over just regular ATM. Yeah, that's not where I was going with it, but that is a, another step. My question was, Vin versus Zane. Vin is about to burn Duralamin, which Zane does not know about. Does ATM tell Zane about the Duralamin, which he doesn't know about? Isn't that a... What is it? The bronze thing it, it, i don't think i don't think atm would show that there's a different source being used or something it just shows the physical outcome of where she will be right R right like it, it shows all of the different yeah. things that you could do in response to what i'm about to do but my question is if zane is burning atm and vin is about to duralumin steel push a coin through my forehead and it's going to move 10 times faster than I'm expecting would his ATM tell him that or would he not know because he doesn't know about Duralamin I would I would guess just guess that like Paul said I think the ATM is just showing Zane the future in the physical space it, it's just showing him a sneak peek at what's about to happen and so he would see something that wouldn't make sense to him. It would be, wow, she's about to shoot a coin at me way faster than she should be able to do. It's not necessarily like, oh my gosh, she must have Duralamin. Right. But it could very well reveal, oh wow, she is doing something I've never seen anyone else do before. That's new. So could it reveal that she has something up her sleeve? Yes. Is it going to immediately make sense to him as, oh, she has another medal that I don't know about? Maybe not. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I, uh, I could buy that. Like, it, it's about to reveal that she's about to jump half a kilometer in the air like she did in part one. Yeah. 
how she can do that, I have no idea, but that's what she's about to do. Right. Exactly. Okay. So I will say, I think the important thing to know here, you know, we've talked about how Zane is in the driver's seat. He has the power over Vin and, and all that stuff. Right. But this is still Zane and Zane is a complicated bundle of motivation and motivations and feelings right now. He comes and he does not kill Vin and he still asks her to run away with him. He like his what he wants is for them together to just up and leave do life just the two of them just just themselves if they if they allied up if they teamed up like who is going to stop them like like they are like the best warriors you can get you know like they they really are the best and so i don't know so so zane kind of leaves with this like think about it kind of thing right like asks asks Vin to consider it to really think about it and consider and i'm curious to know what y'all think like she she doesn't show any sign of wanting to go with zane she's very much like i like ellen and i will be staying with him even if you try to kill me because of it um and i personally like my uh, i guess prediction if you will is that, you know, that would be the case. Like, I don't think she would leave and go with Zane. Like, they would run off. I don't think that's where the story would go. But it does show, you know, like, Zane is not just out to kill her or to gain power for himself. He really just wants to go away and, I guess, live a quiet life. Not really sure what he wants exactly, but uh, but I think they're kind of spared because of Zane's motivation motivational issues if you want to say i i agree with you that vin does not seem to have any attraction or appeal to zane that there doesn't seem to be any of that maybe maybe a little bit but i don't i don't see it that much where i disagree with you is she's convinced that she still likes and um and wants to be with Ellen. I do think she still loves Ellen, but she is very much beginning to question her place with Ellen. Would it be better for me to leave him alone to do his king stuff and stop distracting him? Um, is are we really meant to be together when we have so many of these differences? Because that's a point that Zane has brought up and purposely brought up is does he really understand you? That do you really belong together because you two are so different is, is a phrase that Zane has brought up before. And I'm not convinced that that is a plus in Zane's favor. I do think in Vin's head, that is a minus against Ellen. I, I, I think she's beginning to doubt her compatibility with Ellen. Or yeah, compatibility potentially or or even just the maybe we're compatible maybe we're in love but maybe i'm just not right for him right or maybe i'm distracting him from his cause or you know maybe i don't deserve him you know 
might even tie back to the whole self-image thing yeah. for for Vin. It's she doesn't see herself as worthy of Ellen, so she'll in her mind consider cutting off for that reason and that reason alone. Now, I think in these chapters, as we're gonna find out here, there starts to become more than just that. There there starts to be things that Ellen is doing that Vin starts that maybe feeds into this even more. So I think it's it's multiple things. Elliot, did you want to talk about Zane's voice in his head? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we should talk about that real quick. Zane's got his weird voice in his head that says, kill things. And I noticed something specific in this chapter, though. The, the voice is still there. We, we're, we go into Vin, or sorry, Zane's perspective for a little bit during the fight. And the voice is still there, but the voice says, kill him and it's a, a little bit jumbled up because zane is talking to vin but they're kind of talking about ellen and so it seems like the the voice is fairly pr pretty clearly talking about ellen kill ellen but i kind of noted it as why why is the voice not saying kill vin hmm we we had other scenes with Zane where he just walks by a random person in the street and the voice is like, oh, kill him. And then he walks past a guard and the guard and the voice says, oh, kill him. And then he walks up to Straff Venture. Oh, yeah, definitely kill him. And then he walks up to walks up to Vin. And what does the voice say? It doesn't say kill her. It talks. It says kill the last guy they were talking about, Ellen. So it's almost like. I don't have much to go on on this voice, but it's almost like this voice, it's almost like Vin is invisible to this voice. It's almost like this, whatever this being or voice or Zane's alternate personality or whatever it is, wants to kill everything or everyone, but maybe specifically not Vin. Hmm. Why is that? Or am I just completely making things up and they were talking about Ellen, so it said kill him. I don't know. But the 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 lack of kill Vin seemed noticeable. The the term you used invisible to the voice is an interesting one. That maybe it's not specifically avoiding Vin, maybe it just doesn't know about Vin for some reason. Um Yeah, I don't know. I don't know either. Should we talk about set? Or at least you make me upset. His set. Uh, uh, You're welcome. You're uh, welcome for that one. Um Yeah, we can talk about all all Rianne. You wanna spell check that one, Paul? Go ahead. I'm gonna say I uh I actually don't. In all honesty. <laughs> They, they. I think they do a good job of. I imagine of of pronouncing it in the book. It it never sounds quite like, Orianne. It right. sounds like all all Orianne, which just sounds obnoxious. Yes, it's, I I do think it's a little Orianne set. Um, every time I look at it in the chapter summary, Wikipedia page, I'm like, that is a weird name to to choose. I almost think about it as a group of people sometimes when I read it. Like, oh yeah, all those Rian, all, all Rian, yeah. <laughs> it's it's literally A L L 
R-I-A-N-N-E or something like that. All Rianne. Yeah, she's a soothe. No, is she a rioter? She's a rioter. Um, rioter. She She's rioting Breeze, who's our soother, and rioting yeah. his emotions toward her. Um, so she is like, we've gotten a couple questions about it. Um, but, and Breeze has always been like, ah, oh, no, there's nothing between us. Don't worry about it. Um, but Vin discovers in this chapter, no, there's absolutely something between them. Even if it's just her chasing him, she is definitely interested, um, uh, because she's a rioter and she's trying to get him interested in her. So, um, that's how we, uh, find out that one. And this turned into another, another one of those, why in the world are not all the red flags raising immediately? Right. Then, then discovers that Alrianne is an Alamancer who is manipulating Breeze, who appears to not realize that that's what she's doing. Then. We go and we meet with Lord Set himself. Is this the guy that's Ashweather? Ashweather Set? Yes, Ashweather Set. Mm-hmm. Lord Ashweather Set, who has me very confused. I mentioned this at the end of last episode of his, his mannerisms have me a little thrown. But one of the things that they talk about that Set is very adamant about is that he apparently doesn't give a flip that they have his daughter in custody. And Ellen's like, you don't want her back? He's like, nah, you can have her. And I'm like, okay. Finn at least has all the, all the information here. Set doesn't care that his daughter is on the other side. In fact, he even seems to be fully in favor of that idea. Alrianne showed up at a rather suspicious time. She's manipulating Breeze, getting him to feel emotionally, romantically, connected to her against his will. And Vin doesn't say anything about this to anyone. <laughs> like, oh yeah, I guess she's just, you know, over there manipulating Breeze. Like, how in the world does that not put her at suspect number one for anything? Yeah. The, the things that trigger... Vin's suspicion and the things that dissuade her suspicion are very interesting. Cause so last week you mentioned that she immediately suspects Demu as the spy simply because she's thinking about the spy and then sees Demu. And then um in this episode, she find she follows Demu to the Church of the Survivor, finds out that he's a mem- a devout member of the Church of the Survivor. And then that suddenly clears his name? Like, wh- wh- why? Okay, hold on. What If if Demu was the Chandra, the Chandra would presumably maintain behaviors of Demu, and if Demu was a member of the Church of the Survivor, the Chandra would certainly continue to do that. So why does this clear Demu's name in her in her mind and then yeah why does anyway there's some there's some very interesting trains of thought for Vin and how she follows her instincts and I think 
think they discovered the Chondra bones before Alrian showed up. Yeah. So well, I, I'm not I'm not saying that Alrian is the Chondra. Right. All I am saying is that she is highly suspicious at this point. Yeah, and the fact that she is a rioter is supposed to disqualify her from being True. the Chondra anyway. Um, True. But yes, the, it, you're still supposed to be suspicious of her just as a normal spy in general. Like, Yeah. Yeah, Vin, Vin needs to go to some serious like detective school or something. Or maybe Brandon Sanderson does. Because <laughs> <laughs> we're we're supposed to believe that Vin's like super suspicious of everyone immediately, and then there's you know random things like that where she doesn't care. A major thing that was brought up in this episode is Vin has an internal dialogue of, well, if Ellen can't get the kingdom back, well, that's good. Then him and I can just go run away together, go relocate somewhere, you know, in the Southern Dominance. I don't know. So just go somewhere else and be together for the rest of their lives, live happily ever after. And that's all Vin wants. And then it's reestablished in this chapter that that is not what Ellen wants. Ellen wants to stay with the city and protect the city for the people of Luthadel, Ska and Noble alike. And he is going to fight for his throne as long as he can. And he has not asked Vin if she just wants to leave. Like, that that's not an option for him. He has not even considered it. So, back to what we were talking about earlier, I think there are some major fissures enter or opening between Vin and Ellen, um, and how they approach life um, and and their relationship together. So I, I just wanted to bring that up. For sure on Vin's side of things. I'm, I'm wondering if Ellen might be about to get hit by a truck that he doesn't see coming. Right. Which is Vin might, you know, drop something on him like, hey, we've been growing apart for a long time. It's time we, we split. And Ellen's like, wait, what? Right. I thought we were close. I thought we were getting married next month. Like, I, I'm not sure he sees it coming. Right. Well, and it's also worth mentioning that what Zane is offering is what Vin is imagining with Ellen. Vin wants to love Ellen. Vin wants to run away and get off the map with Ellen. And Zane is offering that exact thing just with him. And so that, that, that's an interesting dynamic as well. That is, that is, Trevor. I'm glad you brought that up because that's what I've been thinking. It's like this dichotomy of, do you want that environment? Do you want to run away and not have to worry about all the these problems? Or do you want the person? Right? Do you want Ellen specifically? And, and, and like, right now it is, like, she wants Ellen specifically. But she wants Ellen to do what Zane wants to to do as in run away right and so so it is like it's a weird thing it's not a love triangle but of like people liking different people at the wrong time but it's them wanting different things at different times if you will it's like a it's a weird kind of love triangle you know like zane wants the same thing that vin wants but Vin does not like Zane. Vin likes Ellen, but Ellen does not want what Vin wants right now. So it's like a weird 
And a weird little and Ellen is completely oblivious of all of it. He has no idea. Oh, yeah, like that's true. like that's what true. Elliot's saying, he doesn't. He has no idea that he's in a love triangle. He just likes Finn, and that's all he cares about. Mm-hmm. It's it's like a it's a it's a quantum love triangle. It exists in separate states at the same time, but at the same time at different times. Yes, that's how quantum mechanics works. Just go with it. Okay. Elliot, I don't know if I've actually gotten your full take on this. What are your thoughts on the Church of the Survivor? I I am glad you asked, because I did jot some notes down about this, but did not include them in our outline, because I assumed we were not going to have time to talk about it. But since you asked, I will, I will happily weigh in on the Church of the Survivor. I've, I noted that... We definitely cannot get away, and this is probably intentional on Brandon's part, from the theme of using religion or religion being a key part of controlling the masses. Mm. This idea that maybe religion exists for more than what religion says it exists for. Religion, we'll, we'll talk about some kind of faith, some kind of often spiritual belief, set of beliefs, people, maybe a God figure that's being followed, maybe a person, teachings, doctrine, all of that kind of fits into religion. But in Mistborn so far, we've seen religion also used as a political tool. Religion used as a government. Religion used as an excuse to do things. Religion used as a way to distract the populace or get the people to do what you want even though your motives aren't religious and church of the survivor seems to be another kind of that Kelsier intentionally created this whether whether this is exactly what he meant or not unsure but Kelsier had or sir the chondra impersonate him on purpose to stir up religious fervor for their cause. The result has been Church of the Survivor, which seems a fairly innocuous thing in and of itself. Elland uses it for his purposes here at the, the end of the story, and maybe that's a little shady. But the Church of the Survivor, sure, they're passionate about what Kelsier stood for. They want to continue that legacy. They're attaching some spiritual significance for it. Okay. I can't shake the thought, though, of it is yet another governmental figure, in this case, Elland, using a religion as a tool to control people, to get them to do what he wants. Yeah. At the, at the end of the part, he doesn't he like swear into the Church of the Survivor, like officially in front of the assembly or something? And Basically. It's, that scene is actually interesting, which we're going to get into it in a second. We don't hear what he says because we're in Vin's head as she's distracted by what's going on. She Vin realizes what he's about to do, and then we're in Vin's perspective. We kind of pivot to, oh boy, here come assassins, and then we pan back to, and that's why you should vote me as king, says Ellen. And it's like <laughs> Vin's doing a little disassociation, yeah. I think, because uh, um, Ellen is is uses the the heir of the survivor as her title 
Um, and Vin's like, I don't care to listen to this. I'm going to, oh, what's that guy doing over there? So, um, yeah, uh, I, I do agree with you. What exactly did Ellen, um, how bought in yeah. is he to the church of the survivor? And is it just for politics or does he, is he actually signing into God, Kelsey or dude? And, and it's heavily implied that it's the 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 former of what right. you just said that yeah. he is speaking out in favor of the church of the survivor even you know stating that he's joining the church of the survivor without any actual religious motives and that he's just doing it for political reasons just to, to gather the ska vote the support yeah exactly yeah which definitely definitely sully's ellen's image image virtue virtue i don't know i don't know how it goes so far yeah it's that 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 in and of itself is not the evilest thing we've seen right far 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 from i, I wouldn't even necessarily maybe argue that it's bad however we just finished last episode trumpeting the virtues of ellen in that he was willing to let himself be deposed as king to do the right thing and and now here we are with him kind of flirting with the line of ethical behavior for political gain. Yeah. I I think it's an interesting dynamic that minor no that's that's major. Um I was going to say minor stormlight spoilers, but I actually can't talk about this until later. Um so I'll save it. Um what about uh Tindwell. Tindwell was about to leave the city and claim impartiality between the the conflict. And and she's about to go, oh, I need to go give these two other guys king coaching because I gave Alan king coaching. Um and then she like dramatically looks into Sazed's eyes and says, Give me a reason to stay. Did you Elliot, did you see that coming or uh not i mean it, it wasn't necessarily a surprise that they come from the same culture they seem to have similar interests it was even implied at one point a while back that there was some kind of history friendship something between the two of them so it, am i surprised that there's romantic attraction between them not really is it incredibly awkward <laughs> Yes, absolutely. <laughs> like the it was the most intellectual romance scene I think I've ever read anywhere. Do they ever at any point say anything in there that you would see in a typical love, you know, romance scene? No. I love the, you know, the 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 beauty of your eyes or I I can't re resist your your presence. I I can't be away from you. I must be close to you. No, it's like, man, you are really good at information. <laughs> I think you and I should help each other. Give me a reason to stay so that we can support the world together. They're like, oh my gosh, this is the most awkward romance scene ever. <laughs> I wish I wish I could. I think that's my favorite point of the evening, by the way. I think that's hilarious. <laughs> I did not think of that. I wish I could experience it again for the first time because I... 
This unfortunately, this is something I did remember is that Tindwell and Sazed were love interests at some point. So by no means did this take me by surprise, but um, I I do think that's funny that you you're reading into the when two uber scholars like each other, they have no idea how to express it. I I should have tried to find some quotes from the the, the chapter because they are they were downright hilarious and awkward and the most yeah scholarly hoarding of a person ever it was it was entertaining anything else before we uh explode some assassin heads we actually should talk about tindwell for a second because i do think she is very important and potentially going to be more important and we actually learned some information some history about her which we should briefly talk about. Yeah, we actually learned it last uh, a couple chapters ago, but we didn't have time to to get to it last episode. So I wanted to bring it back up here. I want to say it's Sazed. Somebody is talking to Vin. It's got to be Sazed, and he shares some interesting information about Tindwell and how wrong of a person she is, and maybe a little bit of reason why she comes off a little bit harsh. Sazed lets us know, or Vin specifically, and us through Vin, that Tendwil was basically forced into the breeding program of the Terrace, the Lord Ruler's breeding program, which I'm slightly confused by this, but I think I pieced it all together. Maybe you guys can help me out. We've been told in the past that the Lord Ruler controlled the breeding of Harris people, which we've put together some some pieces and concluded that that was because he wants to limit the genetic passing on of ferrochemy abilities. Yep. Right. He, he's trying to eradicate those abilities because he was able to use ferrochemy and allomancy together to become immortal, essentially. So he's like, yeah, I got to make sure no one else can do that. So yeah, I'm going to make sure y'all don't create any more ferrochemists. So but but the fact that Tindwell was put into a breeding program where she was intentionally well forced to have children with many different males seemed a little bit counterintuitive to that at first. I was like, well, hold on a second. He's he's supposed to be stopping the passing on of genetic um, powers, but he's making them breed. I guess the conclusion there being. He wants them to continue on, but he's just controlling exactly who they breed with so that they don't breed with any ferrochemy power people. Is that what I, that's supposed to be? I thought it was a mistake and that she successfully hid her ferrochemical powers. Um, right. And then wasn't. Yeah. Anyway. And that's that, that's the twist, right? Is. So I guess Lord Ruler thought he had found a non-ferrochemist and was like, oh, okay, you're not a ferrochemist, so I'm going to make you bear all the children for these people because right. I'm sure you're not going to pass it on. Right. But jokes on him, the twist was the terrorist people had successfully smuggled Tindwell into that system knowing that she was a ferrochemist and tricked him basically to helping them continue the ferrochemy line so right Hindwell now occupies this kind of strange position in that she in- endured something that sounds pretty awful and yet 
her people view it as a major service to her people in that she was allowing herself to be abused. But at the same time, she's passing on her ferrochemy genes to all these children that she bears. Right. Or maybe the potential for. Did, did I piece all that together correctly? Because it, it took me a little bit to wrap my head around it. I think I think you're correct. I mean, I guess Trevor can be the final say on that, but I'm pretty confident that you are right. It's kind of like a... It's, it's very sad to hear, but it's yeah. very, very noble of Tintwell. And, and you can see that Sazed has so much respect for her, probably largely because of that, because she was basically just basically just suffered for like so right. much of her life but she did it because she knew it was for the greater good and she was in a unique position to be able to bring about the greater good for the the keepers um yep okay okay i think i'm with it i just want to get all that out there because it does change your perception of tindwell she yeah. she's not the hey i'm going to insert myself into this political environment so that i can have control over the king or whatever she very much is a servant of her people she has endured a lot of hardship in order to help her people yeah absolutely now now we can talk about exploding heads okay so the Final scene of the part, or at least the second final scene of the part, there's the, the vote for King. And they're going around the room. The Ska vote for Ellen. The or two of oh, the two of the Ska merchants vote for Set. And everybody else votes for Penrod, which creates a non-majority. Uh, for anyone, and it's then going to default back to Ellen. So Ellen wins. And then at the last second, uh, and th this is after the assassin attack, then the, at the last second, the Ska merchants swap to vote for Penrod so that Ellen doesn't get it. So at the end of the part, Penrod is the king, um, and he's supposed to be like the last noble nobleman besides Ellen. Like he he's an okay dude as far as noble old noble old noblemen go from the final empire. Um so um that is an okay solution for our heroes at the end of part 3 uh, as far as what could have happened. Um but there there are assassins that stop the vote um before that yeah. Real quick, sorry yeah. to interrupt you. I, I realize we should mention something real quick about Ellen before we talk about the assassins. I, I was throwing some shade in Ellen's direction a second ago in, when I said that he was all noble and doing the right thing, even when it was to his detriment, and then he started using religion as uh, to manipulate the people. He, he does do something in this scene which is very back on the other side of the, the honorable and noble side of things, which is allowing those assembly members to change their vote yeah there's a there's kind of a drawn out scene there where the people who voted are like hang on a second can i change my vote please and ellen like has this moment 
where he makes eye contact with his, his scholar and his scholars like, yeah, that, that is in the laws. But Ellen realizes that he could say no in that moment, that he and his scholar are the only ones who know the law to that level of detail where they know that's allowed. So he, he's, he thinks to himself, I could say no, and no one would know. He doesn't do that. Yeah. He does the, the honorable follow the rule thing of saying, I'm going to allow you to do this. I know full well it's going to take the kingship away from me and hand it to Penrod. But yes, you can change your vote, which seems like really dumb law, by the way. But change your vote. You can do it. Okay, Penrod's king. That may be. That that maybe bolsters Ellen's reputation back up a little bit. So I I I want to be fair to Ellen and mention that after throwing some shade his way earlier. Yeah. But before they finish the the vote and before that final scene, there's assassins that show up. Um, and they're trying they're attacking Set and they're attacking Ellen. Um, which would seem to imply that they're from Straff. Is that specifically spelled out? Or do do we know? Somebody guesses that. I think I think, I think we know that they're all from from set. Oh, because they're right. It's the Alamancer uh assassin group, right? Well, from set, like from from Straff, that's what we're assuming. Yeah. I think so. It I, I, I will believe, say I so. set gets attacked, has yeah. to like flee for his life. Right. However, I also would not put it beyond set to him having cooked this up to somehow benefit himself. Not quite sure how this benefits him because he loses the vote anyway, but I'm maybe it's Straff, probably. Yeah, I do, I do think it's likely Straff. I think this is supposed to be his Alamancer child army. Um, so Vin is defending... Um, Ellen and uses pewter to gouge a guy's eye out. Um, and then you're like, ew, that was gross. And then while you're still thinking about that, an even more graphic death approaches and she Duralamin pewter head smashes through a guy's head all over Ellen and his white shirt. Um, which which made me think as I'm as I'm listening to this, I was like Wow, that was very violent. Um, and it's it's a common it's a common consensus among the Cosmere fans that Stormlight should be an extended animated series, and Mistborn should be live action movies. That that there, of course there are other opinions out there, but th those two are f are the predominant um, feelings among the among fans is that Stormlight should be of like a long drawn out animated series and this one should be live action. And then it made me think, wow, if you did this live action, that would be horrendous. <laughs> that would be incredibly not PG 13. Um, so if it, and then it made me think this looks and sounds a lot like what arcane did with their animation. If you guys have seen arcane, they did a very interesting animation style, but and and did gore in a way where it wasn't like 
incredibly graphic, but they certainly didn't hold back on um on gore. So it, it made me lean more this scene specifically made me lean more towards Mistborn as an animated like anime series. Um I I didn't give it I didn't give that adaptation much weight before this scene, but as I was thinking about that, I was like, this sounds like a lot like Arcane. Um anyway. I would be very fascinated to learn what Brandon Sanderson would do with a visual depiction of this. Yeah. Let's say, let's say we, let's say a a Mistborn movie is what's happening, which a lot of people are wondering if that is what's happening right now. Well, we'll pause real quick. The, the writer's strike disassembled the, the plans. So there, there was like almost confirmed Mistborn movie coming. The writer's strike, completely took it to ground zero so yeah yep that that would do it so alternate reality writer's strike does not happen and brandon is now producer of a misborn movie where he has been instrumental in writing the script and has a a large say in how they're making this movie what does he advise this scene looks like yeah. I would be fascinated to hear that. Does, would he lean into a accurate and very gory depiction of this? Or would he intentionally maybe veer in a different direction and say, maybe go down a path of that, that rather graphic scene described in a book does not necessarily need to be depicted in violent detail in a live action picture? I mean, so this story compared to the others we've read, except maybe like the Forests of Hell short story, um, it's it's a grim, it's kind of a grim, dark fantasy story. It's not very happy. There's a lot of stuff that have happened that, you know, may not necessarily be. Gore. I mean, there's plenty of gore. There's plenty of like gross scenes. Um, but I, I don't know. I feel like the audience that this story attracts, and, and that that honestly, it, a lot of the style of the story is just it's just darker than than some of Brandon Sanderson's other stories. Um, I think it's okay to tone that back for a visual movie or show or show. Um, I imagine it would be a live action movie as well. But either way, I think it's fair to tone it back because it is a bit much, you know. But, I mean, being honest, I feel like that's where a lot of film and media is today. There's, like, the Game of Thrones shows where it is, they don't pull any punches as far as gore or, um, uh, you know, unsettling images and things like that. Um, I'm not saying that's what I want for sure, but I think it's okay to make this still a bit dark, you know, and have that, that style. And I know that y'all aren't saying it needs to just be happy-go-lucky, you know, or anything like that. But um, but I think that's just part of the style of this story and, and what attracts, in that being an aspect that kind of may attract some people to it. I will say um, also, you know, I was not ready for the progression of logic that Brandon Sanderson had in this fight, where he was like, well, punching wouldn't do anything to a thug, so... 
I pointed my finger and just like right into the eye. I was like, oh, okay, wow, okay, that's what we're that's how you beat a thug, I guess. That that was that was a quick progression and you know I don't exactly want to look at that image on especially in live action, so you know. Isn't isn't that how you're supposed to defend yourself from a shark attack? Like yes. don't try to punch it. It's got too thick a skin. You're supposed to stab it in the eyes with your fingers. Or uh yeah, I think you're supposed to shove your fist up its nose. Um, because then it like backs up is, is the is the thought as well. I thought they couldn't swim backward. Well, yeah, they can't swim backwards, but they can like thrash backwards. I'll I'll just try both and compare and contrast yeah, let, next time. <laughs> let me know. I'll give me some feedback. <laughs> I'm in a yeah. I'll try that next time. And then try it on a thug and compare the, the, the differences there too. Okay. That's um that that should work. Anything else before uh a theme for part three? All right, Elliot, what do you got for us? Yeah, another another theme for the part, just trying to find some kind of topic that ties our chapters that we read through in part three here together. The wor- word I came up with for this one is politicking, Sp- specifically politicking with a K in there. One, because I've always thought that word was fascinating. It seems wrong, but pretty where sure does, it's a real word. Where does the K come from? <laughs> it kind of just appears. Uh, it, yeah, it seems rather random, but I guess you have it have to have it in there in order for it to be pronounced politicking. But yes, but specifically that reaching of trying to maneuver the political scene to your benefit. Politicking. That felt like the the core of this part, part three. Ellen's doing it, Set is doing it, Vin is worried about it, you know, it's causing division. It seemed like all of this just, you know, revolved around those political machinations, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, they're they're all pawns on a chessboard in this part. Sounds good. Do you want your uh, mini rant behind a stormlight spoiler or no? I should I should probably go now with my my mini rant. Okay. Didn't know if you wanted to reference I, other books or not. No, no. Well, I will, but in generic senses and not not spoilery specific ways. All uh, if you're if you're one of our one of our Patreon supporters, you you get access to some some extra channels in our in our Discord, and one of those Discord channels is our live reactions channels, which is where we uh, often will post some of our live thoughts as we read the book. So you know, I'll be laying in bed at night reading the book and if i come across something crazy i'll set the book down and go dump some of my thoughts in in the discord channel and and i did that the other week a couple of weeks ago and if if you guys are in that channel you know what i'm about to to get into and i i took a pause in the middle of part 3 here to kind of reflect on this whole book so far because i realized i've got to a place that i have not been in a brandon sanderson story to date and we are I think this is our 11th book or 11th story that we've read so far, maybe even more. It might be 12, 11 or 12. This is the first time that I have gotten halfway. We are we're 400 pages into this into this book and I'm setting the book down going 
this book is noticeably less interesting than any other Brandon Sanderson book I've read. And I feel like I've read a fair amount now. And I, I feel like something's got to be wrong about this. I, I have full faith in Brandon's ability as a storyteller. We've read a bunch of his books, and they've been fantastic. Like these books we've read, even the ones that I don't like as much, are still top tier of the fantasy genre as a whole. There are not many writers that I will put up uh, at the same level as Sanderson. And so I have a lot of faith in him. I have faith that he's going to make me look like an idiot for what I'm about to say with the ending of the book he's about to, to give me. But man, this book has been this book has been a slog. This book has been a painful slog. And it I realize this might sound a little bit weird because we we've talked in, in a positive manner about a lot of this book so far. And and don't get me wrong, I've been in I've been enjoying it. I, I have been. And there have been a lot of elements that I'm enjoying digging into. And there's been a lot of there's been a, a lot of action, maybe even more so than in some some other books. There's been other books that would be, if you look at the actual pacing, other books may be slower. This one is not necessarily too slow. It's just I don't feel nearly as interested about where this story is going than other books. And I'm trying to figure out why. I feel like this entire book is a extended setup for wherever we're going. And I'm not super invested in it. I like Elland. I like his story that we're on. I like that we're exploring his character. I just, I'm trying to figure out what I'm missing. And the only thing I can come up with is I think what I'm missing is deep dives into the lore. In every other book I can think of, specifically Stormlight, and I won't go into any spoilers, there are long extended sections where not a whole lot is happening, where you're going you're gonna to endure a lot of conversations between characters, where they're just talking about stuff, not a whole lot of big, exciting things are happening. But the big difference, the big difference between those books and this one is in those long, boring, <clears throat> conversations, I'm learning things. I'm learning interesting things they're what they are talking about are magic systems they're talking about the histories of people groups they're talking about weapons and you know, i'm trying to avoid spoilers but lots of lots of very fascinating things that i realize bore a lot of people but that's the stuff that i live off of right. is those give me the history lesson i want to know the 15 explanation of why that creature behaves like it does. And I think what I'm missing is that this book is not giving me that. All I've gotten so far are some very limited bits and pieces about Ferrochemy. We have learned a little bit more about Ferrochemy in this book so far. But that's kind of it. That's kind of it. I'm looking back over the last 400 pages we've read. And I'm trying to think what have I added to my knowledge about Scadriel? And the answer is, concretely, we've come up with some crazy theories and things like that. We're wondering about the mist and the deepness and things like that. But actual, I've been told this, is really small, and it's, it's becoming painful for me. And I hate to say this. I really do. Because I try to, I, I am enjoying this book, but way less than every other book we've read so far. Way less. I, uh... 
I, I do want to respond, but I'm going to have to put it behind Stormlight spoilers because I do want to um, <laughs> compare it in depth with um, with Stormlight, like you're alluding to. Um, so I, I will go ahead and go into Stormlight spoiler stuff unless you want to respond without Stormlight spoilers, Paul. No, no, I don't have anything. Not not without spoilers, I'll, so I'm ready. I'll say one one last thing before we dismiss our, our Mistborn only readers. I'll reiterate, I have full faith that it, this is going to turn around. I've seen lots of you guys out there rate this book highly. Yeah. You know how we do those, you know, rate the books S tier, A tier, B tier, all that. Well of Ascension seems fairly consistently top half yeah. of a lot of people's Cosmere ratings. And I'm looking at all that going, I trust Sanderson. I trust all of you guys. Surely, surely there's a Sanderlanch just a oh. few pages away that's right. going to make me recant everything I'm saying right now. Well, and but there's a difference between a book leaving a good taste in your mouth and being a slog. It can be both. Right. Mm-hmm. So... So just because you do have faith in the Sanderlanch doesn't discount you don't you don't have to dis you don't have to recant what you're what you're saying is that up until this point it's been a slog for you like both can be true mm-hmm. and I'm I'm really interested to see where this book is going because if we were to stop and rate this book right now it would be way below every other Cosmere book we've read. Like I, I would be pretty harsh on rating this book if we were to stop right now. Yeah. So there, the Sanderlanch has a lot to do for me. I'll just leave it at that. I have faith it will, but it has a lot to do. Yeah. So it's full Stormlight spoilers, even though I don't think I'm really going to be talking about back half books. But um, I, let, let's, I like what you did and directly comparing it to The Way of Kings. So for a lot of readers, the Way of Kings is a slog. I would absolutely not classify the Way of Kings as a slog, but because of what you're saying is what we're learning is interesting to me in the Way of Kings. Let's talk about Mistborn. We are now, at the end of Part 3, we are now halfway through Mistborn Era 1. Tell me one thing of culture about anything outside of Luthadel. One. Tell me one thing about the Southern Dominance. We uh, people live there. We people live there, and um, some of them died, and Sazed found them, and then ran back, <laughs> and that's all we've seen outside. Yep. We know the only the only thing we know outside of Luthadel. Is the caves, the pits of Hathsin, and the terrace people. Those are the three things that we've spent even a little bit of time on. And we keep it we keep getting it reiterated to us that the final empire is huge. Like it takes months to travel from the southern dominance to the northern dominance. And the like Luthadel is fairly small in comparison to the rest of the empire show me that like i want to know the the stakes of the lord's rulers the lord ruler's death because all of the time we've spent so far is in luthadel 
I want to know, and I, I mentioned this back in book one, I want to know what, or at the end, at the book one wrap-up, I think, I want to know what the Lord Ruler's death meant for an average Ska family in Set's brain. Like, I, I want an interlude of the dude at the bottom of the pits of Hassan that we met when Kelsier jumped down there. Do you guys remember that guy? Um, we get Kelsier destroying the ATM in the bottom of the pits of Hassan um, from the point of view of some random dude. I want an interlude of him in the Eastern Dominance settling down with a family and having a life. Like, I want to know that some that what we did in the book one meant something for someone. Um, and I, I think the main difference between Stormlight and this is interludes give you such a better frame of reference for what is happening. And Sanderson's publishers and editors told him, take that out. Because he he always says the way of kings is er, the storm that archive is the series I wanted to write, Mistborn is the series that my editor let me and my publisher let me write. They told me take this, cut it in half, take out stuff. We'll publish that. So that's what we have. We we don't have time to learn about shard blades in Yakavet. And the number of shard blades in Yakovet. Because I feel like that's like a fairly important fact to realize how powerful the the Alethi are on the Shattered Plains. You need to know that 80% of all of Roshar's like natural resources are in Alethkar fighting the Parshendi. That's how important the Alethi are. I don't know how important. The, the, the Lord Ruler was. I, I really don't. We haven't seen anything outside of Luthadel. That's my mini rant on top of Elliot's mini rant. <laughs> and I'm... The other thing, maybe in Brandon's defense, could be... I'm, I'm curious if this book is going to suffer from middle book syndrome. Yeah. And sure. that it, it is a trilogy, and this is a middle book. Are... Is this book going to serve – is its main purpose going to be to get us from book one to book three? Is it book one introed us to all this? We had a great time learning about Allomancy, discovering what metals did what. Kelsier had a very exciting story. We were very engaged in that. It was very emotional when he when he died. There's epic things that are going to happen in book three. Vin's got to save the world, become the new hero of ages, whatever. And book two is just, yeah, we got to kill some time until we get there. Maybe. I, I hope not. I hope that Brandon found a way to make his middle book more exciting and that we aren't just kind of stuck in the, the in-between times. But it, as of right now, it feels like that. Yeah. Did you have anything to, to add, Paul? I do. And the, the truth is, I, I do agree with Elliot a bit that this, it's not the most exciting. Um... Uh, like in this moment and I honestly I didn't think about why I didn't think about the the that how even in quote unquote like boring parts of some of our other books we're learning something new 
most of the time. Like like we're we're seeing something, we're being shown something. It, it's all leading to something, you know. And as Elliot mentioned, he may read two more pages and be like, "Oh, okay, like never mind," kind of thing, you know. Um, that is a common thing that we see Brandon Sanderson. Like one one of the things that you hear about negatively about Brandon Sanderson is that uh, you have all this build up and it's kind of slow and then everything happens at once. We're about to start part four, right? And that's usually when things start to get a little more interesting. Right. Um, but but I, I do agree. I do agree that it is kind of a slog at this stage. It's like there's two, there's two armies on your doorstep and the nation's a bit in disarray, but like it's kind of been that way for a little bit, so we're like, okay, okay, okay. When, when are we actually going to see how all this breaks down? And how when do I really breaks, need to care you know? about that? Yeah. Yes, right. yeah, exactly. And I, I wonder, too, if it could be Brandon has grown his writing since this. Maybe, you know, Mistborn 1, he didn't necessarily need to keep us entertained the whole time because everything was new. We were brand new to Scadrial. We were brand new to Alamancy, Ferrochemi. We, we were constantly learning new things. I wonder if after Well of Ascension, he learned, oh, I need to make sure that even in the slow parts, I'm still feeding them tidbits. It's, it, it's okay to have slow parts if I continue to drop little nuggets along the way so that you have a trail of crumbs to follow. Because I feel like I always had that in Stormlight. There were slow times, there were even boring sections, but there were always crumbs to chase. Here, I think that's what I'm missing, is I'm, I've am i got questions, I've got theories, but I don't really feel like I have crumb to chase in through this section. And maybe he, maybe he learned to add that. Anything else? I guess I got. All right. We shall enter part four of the well of sin this this book has six parts by the way i think this is like yes the, yes yeah i know i know it breaks my brain what a Don't, face by yeah. elliot that did not disappoint yes um, i know I, I i had the same face whenever i first realized that yes there's i this may be the first sanderson book where there's part six um is that allowed yeah it's not palindromic at all for sure um <laughs> Yeah, so entering part four next week. Uh, thanks for joining me, Paul and Elliot. See ya. I can't think of a fitting goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>